we want our customers to love us. So then the question becomes, how do we make that happen in a meaningful and sustainable way over time? And I would suggest that really the way to do that is to create a culture that people love working in. If I can't stand this place, what kind of likelihood do I have turning around and taking care of my customer in a way that they're going to love? So we want to create an environment that people love working in. And of course, that's our best retention strategy, recruitment strategy, and everything else. And if we back it up one more step, I can't do that. I can't create that kind of culture in a, in a real way as a leader, or I can't contribute to that kind of culture as a leader or anybody as part of that culture, unless I love it myself first. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. At the end of each boot camp, there is this magical moment where we all get together and express gratitude to one another for the journey we've been on. As a facilitator, it's an incredible moment that's filled with joy and pride as we watch campers who were just strangers on Thursday night share deep appreciation for one another on Sunday morning. But this is also a chance for us as facilitators to express our joy, our appreciation, our love for not only the campers, but for our colleagues. And in this most recent camp, that has felt especially true. When I started this most recent boot camp on Thursday night, I was absolutely not myself. I really had been struggling with a number of things, health issues, stress, anxiety, things that just left me in a place of feeling emptied, vulnerable, even a bit alone. And the phrase that I kept repeating to myself over and over and over was, I just want to return to my life. But from the moment I arrived and met with my fellow Reboot facilitators, I felt something else. Cared for, supported, seen, even loved. In sharing of the gratitude at the end of the camp on Sunday, Jerry voiced what I had been feeling in that moment and in that weekend between my colleagues. Love. Not just the love of the work we get to do, the love of the people who support us and the people we support, but the love for each other. And he shared with the group, we get the privilege of building a company with people we love. Who said a company couldn't be built on love? As he said those words, I realized that in the love of the work, the love amongst colleagues, I was returning to my life. Love is not a word that's often welcomed or used in the workplace, but perhaps it should be. As I felt in that camp, having an opportunity to do what you love, to love who you do it with, is an opportunity to not only love yourself even more, but it's an opportunity to do your best work. In fact, it may just be good business. How can your customers love you if you don't create an environment where love can be felt amongst the team? Steve Farber is a best-selling author and speaker, and in his latest book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, he talks about the importance of mixing love and business. In this conversation with Jerry, Steve and Jerry talk about bringing and naming love in the workplace and how it can be the key to unlocking our best work. Enjoy. Hi, this is Jerry Colonna. Thanks for listening to the Reboot Podcast. Check out my book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I hope it really moves you. Steve, it's good to meet you. Yeah, same here, Jerry. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah. I like to have my guests introduce themselves so that this way I cannot uh, make the mistake of mispronouncing their name. So um, why don't you take a moment and just tell us who you are? Yeah. Well, um, I believe it's pronounced Steve Farber. I've been pronouncing it that way for 61 years. I have been in the field of, you know, what we generically call leadership development in some form or another for 30 years. Hmm. And, you know, I started as an entrepreneur in, you know, in, in my early days, a young entrepreneur. Actually, I started out as a musician. I, I see the guitar over your shoulder. I was going to yeah, ask about Yeah, that. I've been playing since I was 13 years old. But I started everything pretty young, including starting a family. Hmm. And, you know, I discovered early on in my mid-20s, to be specific, that um, being a musician and, uh, what do you call it, uh, feeding people mm. were mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. So I gave up music and I went into business. And I went into business because I had to make money. Mm. It, was, it wasn't driven by any particular love or passion other than I had to feed people. Mm. And I had a friend who was in the commodities futures business who gave me a shot and I knew nothing about it. And within a couple of years, I had my own small brokerage firm. Mm. So that's where I discovered I was an entrepreneur. And I also discovered that uh, I love business. And I also discovered that even though I love business, I hated that business. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's an odd place to be when you hate your own business. So I, uh, and the reason I hated it was, um, I just had a moral dilemma with the nature of the beast because it was very speculative investment. And I got tired of seeing people lose money. And, you know, we would make our money regardless on commissions and whatnot, but uh, I had just had a problem with that. And I got out and, and I started to do this kind of work um, by working for other people and, and working with other people's bodies of work. So I've had phenomenal mentors over the years. Uh, I was vice president of Tom Peters' company at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, uh, are significant mentors of mine, authors of leadership challenge. And I just started on this, this journey in 1988, 1989, and have been at it ever since I've got, uh, three kids and three stepkids. So I, I have, uh, a dubious achievement as a parent mm. in that I raised, uh, teenagers for 25 straight years. Mm. And, you, so and, 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 and your hair remains relatively not gray. Yeah, that's because I color it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Otherwise, it's gray, man. It's really gray. Gray down to the core. <laughs> and, and so I appreciate that intro. It's, it's incredibly powerful to actually hear a bit of folks origin stories and and uh there's a lot that i want to follow up on but i want to i want to set the context that part of the reason that uh i'm excited to have you on the show not just to get to know you in this deeper way but also because i've got in front of me a copy of your book uh titled love is just damn good business yeah thank you and um as folks who know the show know that i would resonate with a book called Love is just damn good business. Um, in fact, I remember as I was preparing for this conversation, I was I was thinking back to an episode of the the podcast that we did a couple of years back, uh, where I was in conversation with two very very close friends of mine, Brad Feld 
and Fred Wilson, both venture capitalists with whom I started my journey. And the title of that episode is What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, because back then, what we were talking about was, in effect, love in the boardroom and the fact that, uh, that love has got a shit ton to do with it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to just sort of dive into some of the core concepts behind your book because it really resonates with me. And I'm going to acknowledge in, uh, that I want to hear more about being a musician. I want to hear more about life in uh, the business that you hated. Um, and uh, because I think it's actually all related. Oh, no so, question. No yeah, question. Yeah. So let's, let's start with the premise around the book. And, and let me, I'm going to read to you a little bit of your own words. Really? Okay. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I believe real leaders approach the act of leadership the way you would approach an extreme sport like ice climbing, snowboarding on a half pipe or cliff diving. These are scary things that some people choose to do. They aren't forced to do it. There's just something about it they love. They embrace the fearful moments that come with meaningful leadership. What I like to call OS exclamation point M's or oh shit moments. Oh shit moments. Leadership is also scary when done well, and it's always something you must chew. So tell me about that and tell me about putting love into action. Sure. Um, leadership uh, is one of those words that we all use. Uh, we all agree is important. And yet we don't really give a whole lot of thought to what it means or looks like. So we tend to throw the word around very loosely. We use it as a label or a title. We slap it on ourselves. We slap it on other people. We say, you made this particular position. You started a company. You have achieved X you know, status. Mm. And now you are a leader. And we all know that leadership, I mean, I would hope that we all know that fundamentally leadership has nothing to do with your position or title. It's about how you engage and it's about your ability to influence people and have an impact on the world around you, regardless of your position or title. Mm. That's not to say that with position or title, there doesn't come the expectation of leadership, mm -hmm. but the practice of leadership doesn't automatically come with the territory, right? Mm -hmm. That's why people have to hire folks like you and folks like me because we need hey, help. goodness, right? Because yeah. it gives us a business. No. <laughs> exactly. It keeps us in business. It's like, it's like healthcare. People are disease-free. So, so there's, what I'm trying to say there is we can all make that choice, but just understand that that choice to lead is intrinsically scary because leadership is about the act of transformation on some level or another. Mm. And that by its nature is a scary thing. So the OSM, the oh shit moment, is, is a positive thing. It's in the right context. It means that we're doing something. It means that we're engaging. Mm. It means that we're striving to change our piece of the world for the better or the world, capital T, capital W, mm. for the better. Mm. Um, so love is, I like to think of it as, love is the motivation. It's the impetus that gets us to step up to take a stand, to stick our necks out, to attempt uh, to really change things. The experience of putting that into action is the OSM. It's, mm -hmm. it's scary. 
this isn't about hearts and flowers and, and, you know, we wave a magic wand and suddenly everybody's in love with everything and everyone. And, and, uh, it becomes like a, you know, like a psychedelic, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, flower laden trip. Uh, it's, it's fraught with, uh, with risk and it's fraught with, uh, with fear. Uh, and all of that is good because that's all part of the human experience. It's all, it's really about what it is we're trying to accomplish and why. So if I love the cause, if I love the people I'm working with, if I love the, the folks I'm doing this for, in other words, my clients and customers, uh, and shareholders, then that makes the, the OSMs that makes the fear that makes the challenge worthwhile. Mm. So that's what love has got to do with it. It's a big part of it. It's at the core of this thing. You know, it's really interesting. As, as business guys, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking business guy to business guy. Let's mm-hmm. just put it some, some with more gray than others. That's right. No, the same amount of gray. Mm-hmm. Some, <laughs> some more visible gray than others. <laughs> um, I'm a business guy. So I, I don't use the word love lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've seen... You know, when you talk about, uh, you know, in your experience, you know, what's love got to do with it in, in the boardroom and in businesses Been asking this question for a long time. I'm not the first one to ask this question. I'm not the first one to shine the spotlight on it. Mm. Uh, but here's what I've noticed. Uh, and tell me if you've seen the same thing. I'm curious. I'm really not trying to convince anybody of this. My objective for writing this book and having these kind of conversations is not to let's say if we speak in in you know uh psychology technical psychology terms it's not to convert the assholes mm. right right i'm i'm in the i'm in the in the confirmation business not the convincing business so what i've seen is when i shine the spotlight on this and challenge people to think about it most of the time people will say you know what i've i've known that <laughs> i've always felt that way i right. thought there was something wrong with me right or I because, was afraid to say it out loud. I was afraid, and I was afraid to say it out loud because people would think I'm crazy because that's not the way you're quote unquote supposed to do it in business. Right. So I have a theory. I can't prove this theory is completely <laughs> anecdotal, but from what I can tell, I'm going to say, I'll go out on a limb here and say most people mm. already know that love is just damn good business. Mm. The problem is that most people, think that most people don't believe that. Right. Right. So it stays silent and stays hidden in the corners until you shine a spotlight on it. And then, and then it emboldens people to, to step up and act a little more fully on it. I mean, what's wrong? What is, what could possibly be wrong with creating a culture or an environment in a business that people love working in? I think that there's nothing wrong with it. And I completely agree with you. Uh, In my experience, a lot of this um, misunderstanding, which leads to an apprehension, stems from childhood. It stems from a belief system that all feelings are unacceptable. Hmm. And that uh, to be socialized as male means if I'm going to talk about love, it's going to be talking about weakness. Mm-hmm. If I'm, right. it, we, may, we may elevate the word passion. Mm-hmm. That's kind of acceptable, sort of. It's borderline. 
but we're certainly not going to talk about love because if we talk about love, we might actually have to talk about hate. Yeah. And we don't want to talk about that. And we might also have to talk about things like uncertainty and fear. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to talk about those things. And so all of a sudden we grow up with this, 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 um, self-reinforcing phenomena where it's not okay to address these things. Uh, it's not okay to build organization structures that actually promulgate a sense of love. Yeah. You know, in, in my parlance, which, you know, listeners are used to me saying, I, I believe that we're wired as children to seek love, safety, and belonging, which are all attributes of love. And, um, and so we end up creating organization structures that where love is unacceptable, where it's totally unsafe and nobody feels like they belong. And then we wonder why people aren't passionate about their work or engaged in the company. Yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to that. I also think that there's something about the context of business that magnifies all of that. Yeah. Because even though, you know, and some of this is generational, of course, but, but in, you know, when we were growing up and it, it was probably more prevalent in more families that you didn't, you know, the love, the, the love word wasn't even used very much or particularly if you're, if you're a man, that's not, you don't show your emotions. I don't think that's quite as prevalent today as it was then. Mm -hmm. But even people that grew up in that generation are doing pretty good for the, I know I'm overgeneralizing of course, but even if we're good at, at getting better at that, at coming yeah. from and acknowledging and encouraging emotions, et cetera, in our families and with our friends. And we go to work and we apply a different, a different uh, set of criteria to it. That, that, in other words, we acknowledge we want love in every aspect of our lives. We want to love our kids. We want them to love us. We want to love our spouse. We want him or her to love us. We want to love our friends. We want them to love us. And then we go to work and it no longer applies. Right. It's, it's insanity, really. Uh, well, I, think, I, 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 I think quite I, literally I, it's insane. I, I agree. And I, I, I think one, one of the things as, that, that we encounter, that I encounter as a coach oftentimes, is the, the, the result of that in which um, people are struggling with depression, they're struggling with anxiety, they're, they're, they're struggling, leave aside mental health challenges, they're struggling with you know, toxic work environments, they're, they're struggling with uh, lack of creativity, lack of innovation, a lack of trust, right? And, uh, and yet there's this, this, this um, kind of splitting that occurs where you're told that, that who you are as a human being should not actually be brought forth in that workplace because if it were to be, be brought forth, it somehow triggers all these, these perceptions about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And then we sit there and we wonder, well, why is trust such a problem in our organizations? Well, because right. you're not making it safe for people to say what's actually going on. Exactly. Exactly. Which is kind of interesting, uh, the contradiction that we set up for ourselves, mm -hmm. because there are th certain things that we can all agree as business people, as human beings in the context of business, that we all agree that we want. We want trust, right? I mean, Stephen M. R. Covey wrote The Speed of Trust, great mm -hmm. book, great, you know, uh, a, a great examination of what we already know is true. 
that you know teams that that have a higher level of trust perform better. We know this. We know we want engagement. That's why we do all these great engagement surveys. Uh, we know what we want. There's no argument about that. But when we start to delve into what that really means and what it would take, and then we start into this this neighborhood of well, it's really about love. Mm. It's about love of the business. It's about love of the people that you work with. It's about love of the clients that you're serving. It's about love, love of the work of the values that you stand for. Love of the work that you're doing. Love of the technology that you're involved in. Mm. When we that that's what it takes to engender all those other things that we're already measuring and say that we want. I think that that's where people get get can get a little bit squeamish. But again, again, not not as much as one would think. Uh, you'd be maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but a lot of people would be surprised at how little eye rolling I get mm. when I talk about this subject. Because you know, I do a lot of keynote speaking, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been I've been teaching this idea, sharing this idea with the most hardcore of hardcore business people and corporate environments for 20 years, really. Mm. Uh, and and I get very little resistance. And I and I think that's not to say I don't get initial resistance. Sometimes, mm. and there are going to be people that just hearing the word, their initial impulse to say, that's going to be a bunch of California touchy feely hoo ha crap, <laughs> right? I can say that because I live in California. That's all right. And you can definitely uh, say hoo ha. <laughs> I can say hoo ha. Nobody's going to kick me out of here for saying hoo ha. No. <clears throat> and how often do you really get a chance to say hoo ha? Think about it. So it's, uh, but. If you just do a little business analysis on it, a lot of that evaporates. And here's, so here's the way I like to lay it out. And this is why the, the title of the book is not just love is damn good. Mm. It's love is just damn good business because this is about business mm. and business. You don't have a business without results. Mm. And we measure those results from everything, you know, to market share, to profitability, to et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm. So the, the implication there is that this is going to impact your results. So the way I like to think about it is this. We get, as business people, so whether you're a the startup entrepreneur or you're in a, you know, working for a, a mature corporation, whatever, our competitive advantage comes from our customers or clients loving what we do for them mm. because anything short of that uh, does not, does not assure um, loyalty uh, and continued business word of mouth, right? It's when they love us that they talk about us It's when they love us that they buy more. Uh, it, we know this. I mean, this is nothing new, right? Mm. I mean, we, we should all know by now that customer satisfaction if we, if we think we're doing okay when our customer says they're satisfied with us, then we're delusional because there's, there's no correlation between satisfaction and repeat business, et cetera, et cetera. We've known this for forever. I mean, Xerox did studies on this years ago. So let's start with that. We want our customers to love us. So then the question becomes, how do we make that happen in a meaningful and sustainable way over time? Mm. And I would suggest that really the way to do that is to create a culture that people love working in. Mm. If I can't stand this place, what kind of likelihood do I have turning around and taking care of my customer in a way that they're going to love? And by taking care of, I don't necessarily mean just frontline, you know, like a retail store, mm. but, you know, everything in terms of, you know, product development and innovation and, and, and um, you know, customer service, uh, 
policies, procedures, all of that is a reflection of the people doing the work. Mm. So we want to create an environment that people love working in. And of course, that's our best retention strategy, recruitment strategy, and everything else. And if we back it up one more step, I can't do that. I can't create that kind of culture in a, in a real way as a leader, or I can't contribute to that kind of culture as a leader or anybody as part of that culture, unless I love it myself first. So it all becomes very personal very quickly, but it starts with, let's, let's start with the customer and back it off from there. So when I, when I position it that way, mm. and I believe that is an accurate way of, of saying it, um, I get very little resistance to the idea. What, what's challenging, of course, is, is putting it into practice. Because mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 it conjures up all kinds of stereotypes about what love should look like. You know, it's like, well, are you saying that, that you know, if I love, if I love people in my company that, that uh, they can get away with anything? And or, I love them, I don't want, yeah, you know? there, there's one that, uh, that I run into all the time. If you say that I should love, uh, that love should be in my company, how's Wall Street going to react to that? Or does that mean I shouldn't fire people? Or yeah. does that mean... Yeah. You know, and so what's your response to that? I have mine, but what are your responses to that? Well, Wall Street's going to react to your results, obviously, mm-hmm. and to your numbers. And I can love you and fire you. Because mm-hmm. listen, I, I, there's a number of things, it gets complex, but there's a number of things that I have to love. I, first of all, as a, if this is my company, I have a fiduciary responsibility, right? So I need to love this business. I need to love the, the people that invested in this business, mm. ideally. doesn't mean that I'd want to hang out with them, but mm. I, can, I can love, I, I should definitely love that they entrusted me with their funding, mm-hmm. right? And I need to love my team. So what happens when those things are at odds with each other? Mm. Well, if, if you're not doing your job or if you're ill-suited for your job, uh, and there's, a, there's a real issue with you, the individual that works for me, I can, I can love you enough to tell you this ain't working out. We'll see you later. Uh, your, your, your statement reminds me of something a client once said to me that she had to fire an employee. She stood up in front of the entire team and she said, I love chocolate and I love olive oil, but I don't love chocolate and olive oil together. <laughs> this person who's been fired is olive oil and we're chocolate. Yeah. Olive oil is great, but it doesn't belong with chocolate. Right. Yeah. I, exactly. I love that line. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's beautifully said and, and it can be done with kindness uh, no matter what, no matter how, how difficult it is. So here's, again, this is kind of the, um, the collective idea that we bought into. Mm-hmm. That somehow love means lower standards. Yes. And nothing could be further from the truth. Love means higher standards. Mm-hmm. If it's really, if I really love this, if I really love you, for example, and you work for me and, and you're not living up to your potential, you're not following through on, on what you said you would do, your, you know, whatever the, the mm-hmm. HR, you know, Issue might be. Be. Yeah, yeah, if I yeah. really love you, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Right. Because I believe in you. And so I'm going to give you every chance that I can. 
And if it's, if it's, you know, chocolate and olive oil, then, you know, go, go, go thou in search of, go thou in search of a nice baguette. (laughs) 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 You know, so uh, it's, it's not, I I think we want to, we want to take that word and turn it into some, you know, two dimensional thing. And this is, this is as fundamentally human as it gets, which makes it complicated. It's complicated and it's highly energizing. Very energizing. Yeah. You know, um, uh, the image I had was uh, uh, a piece of advice. I think I'm going to internalize, which is that um, here's a high standard. You know, one of the folks who's been on the show is Patty McCord. Uh, who wrote the the culture deck for Netflix um, and it was head of people and then wrote a beautiful book called powerful. And one of the things she said was that um, Netflix early on internalized the belief system that they should be a great place to have worked, meaning to have come from, meaning that when people inevitably go off into the world that others hire them and say, wow, you worked at Netflix, you must know something. So I'll build on that and build on that and connect it back to, to what you were saying. I'm imagining it might be a wonderful aspiration to hold on to where people have been fired from your company and they say, but boy, did they do right by me? Yeah. And I don't mean by, by the check that they got on their way out, but they held me to high standards. They gave me the things that I needed to succeed. And when I failed, they treated me with dignity on my way out. Yeah. And that is love. And that is love. Yeah. And so, so you, sh- you know, this, this whole, I, I love that notion and of, uh, you know, you'll be better for having worked here, which is very different from we're going to give you a job for life. Yes. Uh, and this started to, I mean, I first started noticing it. I don't know if it's the first time it, it, it emerged. Mm. But the first time I remember it emerging was in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. This was actually during my tenure at the Tom Peters Company. And you had Apple saying, uh, we don't promise you a job for life, but we promise you that you will be more marketable by having worked here. Mm-hmm. And Tom Peters, you know, one of my mentors, uh, he, he was fond of saying, you shall be known by your alumni. Mm. And you know, that's, that's part of, part of your legacy. Of course he came out of McKinsey. So, um, sometimes people get fired. Sometimes they leave and sometimes they leave and then come back. Yes. Uh, that boomerang sort of effect, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm ready to go spread my wings. I want to, I want to try somewhere else. And, and they leave and get a nice send off. No bridges are burned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we wish you the best in your endeavor. We wish you wouldn't leave, but you, because you're leaving, we're going to support you, send you off with that love and kindness. And then a year later, um, can I come home now? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wonderful thing mm. because now what they're, they're coming back with a fresh perspective, a right. greater appreciation of what we have and more grown. knowledge and experience that they, that they learned somewhere else. That's and it's great. Instead of that petty kind of, well, you know, you're, you said you would stay and now you're leaving and how dare you. And just we're, we're all on our own journeys and the, the better we can support that in each other, it, it comes home to roost in, a, in the, the positive sense of the, of the phrase. 
I, I hear you. So I want to take you back in time a little bit. Um, I, I did not write it down completely, but there was something that you said um, about hating the place that you worked. It was worse than that. I didn't hate the place I worked. I hated my own company. Mm. <laughs> That's, that is so much worse. And so, you know, looking back, and this was, so I'm 61 years old. I, that was when I was t- like 28, maybe 27, 28. Um, so it was really in my formative years as a, as a business person, as a human being, but also as a, as a human being in business. And I loved so much about it though. So I really, lo- I loved my team. Mm. I loved the excitement. I loved the challenge. I loved the idea of it, of being my own boss and being an entrepreneur. I had big vision. I had, you know, audacious goals way before we even used that term. Mm. I had, I had all of that, but I, but fundamentally I was, I was miserable and I was making myself sick Mm. and I was trying to support a family. And, you know, so if you, if you tack on, you know, all the things that, that startup entrepreneurs uh, have to deal with, like, for example, making payroll. Right. If I hate this business, then the challenge of making payroll, I mean, obviously I, I want to pay people. I, they, they depend on me for their paycheck, but my own energy reservoir was, was deeply depleted mm-hmm. beyond empty. Uh, if such a thing is possible. So for me, uh, there were a, a series of circumstances that made it really obvious that it was time for me to get out. And one of those circumstances was my partner in the business, who was the financial side of the equation, uh, bailed, just bailed on me. Mm. So the last time I talked to him, he said, I'm sending you a wire for $25,000 to pay for renovations we just did in an expanded office. And that was the last time I talked to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. The money never, never came and he disappeared. He lived on, he, he wasn't local. He lived, you know, on the East Coast and I was in the Midwest at the time. Mm. And, you know, I kind of looked at that and said, maybe somebody's trying to tell me something here. And I got out. Well, the, what was it that, that the somebody was trying to tell you? What, what, what do you think <laughs> that was? Uh, that I was, I was completely going down the wrong path in my life. Yeah. I was not, I was not suited for that industry. I didn't take it as I wasn't suited for business or for yeah. being an entrepreneur, but that industry was killing me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean that literally, I mean, it was, it was making me ill. So you mentioned that twice. I'm going to interrupt you. You yeah. mentioned it twice. What was yeah. the illness? Um, I was uh, way overweight. Uh, I had started smoking again after years and years of not. Mm-hmm. I smoked when I was a teenager and then gave it up and then you know, started that again. And I was and I was I was deeply unhappy, which to so, me feels like an illness because I'm a happy guy. In my own story, which which folks on the show who listen to the show know, I was 38 at the height of a career as a venture capitalist. I weigh 249 pounds. I'm 180 today. Yeah. 
and I was suicidally depressed. Mm. And so I felt trapped in a life that was not mine. Yeah. And yeah. I had, I had a great business and a great partner, but uh, so I'm really relating to what you're describing here. So what happened to me, Jerry, was I, here's what I knew. So when I got out of that business or right before I got out of it, I had, by this time I had moved to San Francisco, moved my family across the country to San Francisco. And I was walking downtown in the financial district one day and just feeling that, uh, here's what I knew. I knew two things with absolute crystal clarity. I knew that there was something I was supposed to be doing on this planet. I knew it. it was, there was no doubt in my bones. Mm. And what I also knew with equal clarity was that I had no freaking idea what it was. <laughs> and there was just this moment where um, I literally looked up at the sky and said, come on, man, just tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll do it. And that's the kind of yearning that I felt. And then Shortly thereafter, and this is the way it happened, I'm not exaggerating. I was talking to a friend on the phone, and we were just talking about mutual friends, and she said something about a mutual friend of ours who was doing some kind of workshops and training for corporations. <laughs> that was the extent of the detail. Mm-hmm. And all my lights went on. I said, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. I have no idea what that is, but that's it. So I started doing some research and I found, I found that there was this whole industry called at the time, you know, mostly it was called training and development. Mm. And I, and I said, okay, I've got a business background. I'm, I'm good in front of people because I'm a musician and performer and all that. I can put all that together. And that's what started me on this path. And it's been like a freaking rocket ship ever since. And that was the late eighties. So, so by contrast, I came from from a scenario where I hated mm-hmm. my work as an entrepreneur and discovered what I loved. And the difference was so dramatic in everything from my business success to my well-being. And then when I started doing work with, with corporations, and you know, I've had so much exposure to so many different businesses and industries over the years, that I guess it made it more pronounced when I saw that in other people. Mm. And I began to see that this is pretty universal. You know, mm. every, pretty much everywhere I go, the best leaders, the most successful teams, they love what they do. They love the people they do it with. And then when I, when I went to work at the Tom Peters company and I got into, and you know, Jim Kuzis mm-hmm. um, became my, we were on the executive team together. He was a president. I was a vice president. And I taught his stuff. And one of their five practices of leadership is encouraging the heart, is what they call it. Hmm. And Jim used the word love and, and talked about it. It was kind of a, an oh, by the way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't right front and center, but it was part, it was part of the mix. It, it reinforced that, and it became like a, a, a lens through which I began to look at everything. And it just became increasingly obvious to me over the years. Uh, I'm going to use, I'm going to reflect back what I'm hearing and, and, and put it within the larger context of uh, 
what uh, we often refer to both in terms of my book, but also in terms of the company. Here's a little branding thing. I think what I just heard in your story was there was the hate. There was the, you had built a successful life that was not your life. And then there was this life on the other side. And then there's that moment, almost a Saul on the road to Damascus moment, where you're walking through the streets of San Francisco and you're looking up at, at the sky, at God, at the divine, at whomever, at whatever, and saying, what the fuck? Like, what the yeah. fuck? Or to use your language, an oh shit moment. Yeah. And it's that moment, I, what I acknowledge and what I see is that there was a man who was brave enough to allow himself to be rebooted completely to, to basically yeah. say, I am, I built this thing. It does not work. This is not right for me. I'm going to do, I'm going to start in a different place in a different way. I know nothing except that I just lit up like a Christmas tree when someone said workshops. Yep. Exactly. Right. And you followed yeah. your heart. Yeah. And, and listen, I don't want to, I don't want to give the impression that it was a, it was a straight up trajectory from there, hmm. but really it kind of was. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously there are ups and downs and setbacks and, and all that. And, and there are to this day, of course, but, uh, but in terms of, of the overall direction and, and setting up the, the, the right ingredients and environment to discover and reveal my life's body of work. That's what it led to. Mm -hmm. And, and I deeply love my work. Mm -hmm. um, I don't love everything about it. Mm -hmm. But isn't that love? Yeah. Yeah. The so capacity the way, to be able to say, I don't love this part, but I love yeah. that. Yeah. So the, the way I like to frame that up for people, Jerry is, is, is look, you, you know, the expectation that I'm going to love everything, everything that I do is, is not realistic. So for me, for example, I don't love airports. I don't love uh, the mechanics of marketing. I don't love um, numbers. But there are things that I have to do that I don't love in order to do the work that I love. And the technical term for that is called being an adult. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know... But overall, man, I, I mean, this is, this is, this trips my trigger. This is, and, and one of the things that I love, of course, is seeing how other people light up mm -hmm. when they begin to embrace and act on, on these ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. Yeah, I'll make the observation that, you know, you and I, we come at our work from different angles, but I think we come at the work in a very similar way. And I, I suspect you'll, you'll share this as well. You know, we're often called in to help individual leaders, but also help cultures develop in a way in which um, really the best of humans get to come forward and those yeah. adults get to come out. And uh, when we can uh, find the baguette for that olive oil, when we can match it properly, um, uh, then to me, love becomes a byproduct, a natural organic expression, which then creates a culture within the organization, a culture of kind of a, uh, a fierce love in which we hold ourselves accountable to a higher 
standard that you're mm-hmm. going for. And, and we do the work that we need to do in order to do the work that we love to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which, which reminds me of, uh, uh, of the, it sounds odd to say that it reminds me of my own words, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the, I'm an author too. <laughs> so much reminds me of my own words. <laughs> if I could be so presumptuous as to quote myself for a moment. <clears throat> um, the, sub, the subtitle of the book is Do What You Love in the Service of People Who Love What You Do. Yeah. Uh, it's also the structure of the book, and it's, and it's a framework that pulls a lot of this together. So let me just break that down quickly. Mm-hmm. Do what you love is the foundation for this. Mm-hmm. It's like you were just saying, if I'm doing what I love, a lot of these things emerge organically and naturally. But it's also not the whole story because if all I'm doing is what I love, then, and I don't really care about anything else, taken to an extreme, that's called narcissism, mm-hmm. right? So yes, I'm doing what I love, but the second piece of that is in the service of people. That's the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's both the moral and the ethical context, and it's also the business context. So mm-hmm. I, yes, I'm doing what I love, but I'm, I'm using that energy, mm-hmm. et cetera, to serve you, to serve you, my employees, to serve you, my customers, to serve you, mm-hmm. my community, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm serving you not just because I feel obliged to, mm-hmm. but, and I'm trying to meet some minimum requirement that can say that equals service, but I'm serving you in such a profound way that the result of that is reciprocity. You, you, you love me in return. Mm. That's when you know you have a phenomenal customer, right? Uh, so it all kind of ties in together and becomes this wonderful kind of virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. Your words remind me of others' words, not mine, thank goodness. Um, but one of my favorite teachings is from Judaism. And I believe it was Rabbi Hillel who said, if I am not for myself, who will be? Yeah. If I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Yeah. You know, sometimes some of the best business advice comes back from the ancient wisdom traditions that Mm -hmm. sort of teach us that what love is and where love belongs in our lives. Right. Which also... It's just the way my twisted mind works. It also reminds me of the famous Groucho Marx line. <laughs> which is? I'm standing, I'm standing up for your honor, which is more than you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Steve, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. It's, it's really been a delight. I also want to thank you for the book. The book was really a delight to read and, uh, and recommend uh, heartily. Um, you know, despite uh, the fact that we both encountered sort of the um, uh, obviousness of some of this, you know, one of my lines these days is that better humans make better leaders and everybody goes, Oh yeah, that makes sense. And then I think, (laughs) then why do we have such shitty leadership? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, and it's the same thing. If it makes sense that love is just damn good business, then why do we struggle? Yeah to actually have those environments. So, uh, yes, because knowing something and practicing it are two different things. Yeah. So it takes, it actually takes work and discipline to be a good human being. Yes. And, and it takes work and discipline to operationalize love in the way that we do business. Yeah. Uh, but, but there is no, uh, there's no more worthy of an endeavor that I can think of. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for writing the book. And thank you for doing the work that you do. I think it's really important. And uh, at another point in another conversation, I want to hear all about being a musician. Yeah, I would love to have that conversation with you. Thank you so much, Jerry. Thank you, buddy. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all five seasons of our podcast conversations. And leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Now, a critical mistake that entrepreneurs make is not thinking about their board of directors early enough. And this is why we created Reboot Your Board, a four-day self-guided practical skills course all about managing your board via the wisdom of Jerry, Fred Wilson, and Brad Feld. Now, this course is for any company of any size, including those who haven't yet taken investment. And over the course of four days worth of rich content, we take you through the practical challenges of growing and developing a high-functioning board. The board relationship doesn't have to be a challenge. In fact, it can be one of the most rewarding aspects of a leadership journey. And when done well, the board-CEO partnership can help each party grow and become the best possible person they can be. Be sure to get started on our Reboot Your Board course at RebootYourBoard.com.